part two of custer's last battle of custer battlefield by robert m utley this librivox recording is in the public domain section two c battle of the little bighorn reno attacks custer destroyed the seventh cavalry's noon meal stop on june twenty four stretched into four hours as the new and troubling indian sign preoccupied everyone scouts rode out in advance to gather more information the trail was now fresh noted the expedition's itinerist and the whole valley scratched out by the trailing lodge poles probably worried that the sign meant that the village was breaking up and scattering custer apparently did not guess the true explanation the old trail had suddenly become overlaid and confused by the recent trails left by numerous groups of agency indians converging to unite with sitting bull at dusk the regiment camped for the night at nine after darkness had fallen the crows returned with new intelligence just ahead they told custer the indian trail veered to the west and climbed the divide between the rosebud and the little bighorn they had followed it to the summit but facing the setting sun had not been able to see anything beyond custer did some hasty calculations and at once adjusted his plans now he knew that the indians could not be on the rosebud nor could they have doubled back to the yellowstone neither could they be on the upper little bighorn for the trail up the divide was too fresh to have allowed time to get that far thus they had to be on the lower little bighorn swiftly custer made a crucial decision calling his officers together over a flickering candle he outlined a new plan instead of continuing up the rosebud he would follow the trail across the divide under cover of night spend the next day resting the command and fixing the location of the indian camp then hit it with a dawn attack on june twenty sixth the date appointed for gibbon to reach the mouth of the little bighorn rousted from bivouac about midnight the troopers groped blindly forward in the darkness marching another six miles up the rough rocky valley of a small stream now named davis creek at two a m still short of the summit the weary horsemen halted as day dawned they made coffee although the alkaline water made it all but undrinkable writing about the command bareback custer paused at the cook fire of the aracaris bloody knife half sioux and half aracara was talking custer asked the interpreter what he said he says we'll find enough sioux to keep us fighting two or three days custer smiled i guess we'll get through with them in one day he observed earlier while the regiment marched in dusty blackness lieutenant charles a barnum and several of the scouts under his command had climbed a high hill to the west part of the divide between the rosebud and little bighorn known as the crow's nest at dawn they scanned the wrinkled landscape rolling off to the bighorn mountains some fifteen miles to the west where a thread of green traced the course of the little bighorn the crows spotted smoke rising from the sioux and cheyenne village and on the bench land beyond they picked out an undulating dark smudge that represented the pony herd barnum could not see the village nor could custer when he climbed the peak in response to the lieutenant's summons but he had no reason to doubt that the crows had seen it they placed it just where the direction and freshness of the trail indicated it should be almost at once however word came that stirred new alarm two parties of sioux were spotted in the vicinity of the breakfasting soldiers all experience pointed to the certainty that these indians would hasten to warn the village of the soldiers approach 
then the gnawing fear that had ridden with the regiment all the way from fort lincoln would be realized the village would break up and flee in all directions and so custer made a second crucial decision to find the village and strike it as soon as possible for his decisions on the evening of june twenty four and the morning of june twenty five custer has been both condemned and defended his detractors pointing to his burning pride in the seventh cavalry and his reputation as an impetuous commander have charged him with willfully disobeying orders in a heedless race to win all the glory he disregarded terry's suggestion that he continue up the rosebud beyond the point where the indian trail left it then rushed a command exhausted by a night march into battle without first learning the exact location and strength of the enemy defenders point to the language in terry's instructions leaving all movements to custer's discretion the indian trail plainly disclosed that the sioux and cheyennes were so near that they could not possibly have slipped off to the southeast to continue up the rosebud would have required him to lose touch with an enemy he now had in his immediate front to make a long detour through country he knew could not harbor many indians and to risk the very possibility that every one so pervasively feared the escape of the indians once the regiment had been discovered moreover there could be no other proper decision than to attack for the indians could hardly have been expected to remain in place waiting until the soldiers found it convenient to fight reno attacks shortly after noon on june twenty five eighteen seventy six the seventh cavalry topped the divide and halted at the head of reno creek custer had his adjutant lieutenant cook form the regiment into battalions major reno took command of one consisting of companies a g and m a hundred and forty officers and enlisted men captain benteen headed the second consisting of companies d h and k about a hundred and twenty-five strong custer himself retained five companies about two hundred and twenty-five horsemen under his immediate command but subdivided them into two battalions captain george yates led the first consisting of companies e and f and captain miles w keogh the second composed of companies c i and l yates a custer loyalist captained company f called the bandbox troop for its smart appearance keogh captain of company i was an irish soldier of fortune and veteran of the papal guards who had come to america in eighteen sixty two to fight for the union captain thomas n mcdougall was assigned with b company to guard the pack train and bring up the rear custer shared terry's concern about the indians slipping away to the southeast what the scouts had seen from the crow's nest at dawn suggested that the village lay downstream from where he would strike the river but prudence dictated that he make certain no indians were upstream where they would be behind him from the head of reno creek custer could not see southeast into the little bighorn valley a line of ridges blocked the view immediately after dividing the regiment therefore he ordered benteen to lead his battalion to these ridges and look for indians before rejoining the trail of the main column subsequently as custer learned that more than one line of ridges intervened he sent word for benteen to move on to successive crests until he could see the little bighorn valley as benteen wheeled to the left the rest of the column trotted down the narrow valley of reno creek the two commands rode parallel custer's on the right bank of the creek reno's on the left lieutenant barnum and the indian scouts ranged in advance 
the pack train struggled along in the rear and quickly fell behind a march of about ten miles brought the horsemen by two fifteen p m to within four miles of the little bighorn here they rode through an abandoned indian campsite a lone tepee remained standing containing the body of a slain warrior the indian scout set it afire from the village at this site the warriors had ridden forth on june sixteenth to do battle with crook here the troops flushed a party of sioux interpreter fred gerard rode to the top of a knoll beside the trail waved his hat and shouted here are your indians general running like devils ahead some forty warriors raced their ponies toward the river to the right or north custer saw a column of dust rising from beyond high bluffs that hid the valley from view the dust doubtless meant to him that he had at last found the village and that its occupants had taken alarm and were trying to get away even though benteen could not be called upon the situation demanded an immediate attack instantly custer ordered reno to pursue the fleeing warriors and charge afterward and you will be supported by the whole outfit reno's battalion accompanied by varnum and the scouts took up a fast trot down reno creek as the indians vanished in the distance at the tree-shaded ford the soldiers stopped to drink throwing the formation into confusion reno finally got it reassembled on the other bank and led it on to the level valley floor downstream in the distance clouds of dust rose from the valley and mounted indians could be seen racing about gerard the interpreter concluded that the warriors were riding forth to give battle knowing that custer supposed them to be fleeing he turned back to relay the news soon he overtook adjutant cook and another officer who had accompanied reno as far as the river explaining that the indians were not running but were coming out to fight gerard wheeled to rejoin reno ironically custer had come close to surprising the sioux and cheyennes they had only minutes of warning before the soldiers struck hunters were out looking for game except for a few ponies tethered in camp the herd grazed on the bench to the west men lazed in their tepees the soldiers of course also raised dust and this first alerted the indians warriors with ponies mounted while others rushed toward the herd the hunkpapas and blackfoot at the upper end of the camp made frantic preparations to meet reno's advance and thus created the dust and commotion that misled gerard and others with the three companies side by side in column of fours reno's battalion trotted down the valley after a short distance reno changed the formation placing company g in reserve behind m and a then later brought g back on line with the other two ahead a timbered bend of the river jutted into the valley from behind this tongue of green dust continued to boil skyward a few tepee tops could be indistinctly seen and horsemen in growing numbers raced about in the dust anxiously reno looked back for the support custer had promised but could see none another half mile and the little handful of men would be swallowed by what looked like overpowering numbers of indians although probably no more than a couple of hundred had yet gathered reno threw up his hand and shouted for the command to fight on foot the advance ground to a halt within sight of the hunkpapa circle private james turley's horse bolted and carried him forward into the dust that was the last i saw of him said his sergeant every fourth man grabbed the reins of his own and three other horses and led them to the rear then into the timber 
a thin skirmish line stretched part way across the valley carbines popping at blurred images in the dust mounted sioux raced the length of the line curled around the exposed left flank and appeared in the rear within fifteen minutes reno decided that the position had to be abandoned his men filed to the right into the cottonwood groves that anchored the right flank here an old river bank afforded a natural breastwork but here also dense timber and heavy undergrowth thwarted all attempts at a coherent formation reno quickly lost control of his companies warriors worked through the brush and trees and gathered on the other side of the river to fire from the rear within half an hour closely pressed the major decided that this position could not be held either he mounted and shouted for his men to mount scout bloody knife sat his horse next to reno a bullet sang through the trees and smashed into his skull splattering reno's face with blood and brains disconcerted reno ordered the men to dismount then recovered and again shouted to mount confusion spread as some men obeyed and others misunderstood and still others failed to see or hear their commander on the edge of the timber the cavalrymen mounted in a loose column formation reno took the lead and signaled a withdrawal back up the valley sioux kneed their ponies in from the right when we came out of the woods recalled lieutenant varnum there were a great many indians scampering along with their rifles across the saddle working their winchesters on the column this deadly fire deflected the retreat toward the river and the high bluffs beyond no rear guard held back the sioux and soon they mixed with the galloping troopers now seized by panic the indians picked off the troops at will commented gerard it was a rout not a charge at the river no force covered the crossing and warriors gathered on the banks to fire at the soldiers struggling in the water those who reached the east side made their way up the ravines that cut into the ramparts of bluffs exhausted and beaten the remnant of the battalion gathered atop the bluffs of a hundred and forty men who had charged down the valley scarcely an hour earlier forty had been killed and thirteen wounded among the dead were lieutenant donald mcintosh cut down in the retreat lieutenant benjamin h hodgson knocked into the river then fatally hit while being dragged up the bank grasping the stirrup of a passing rider dr james m de wolf dropped by a shot from the top of the bluffs while scaling an exposed hogback separating two ravines civilian interpreter isaiah dorman the only black man with the expedition killed in the valley and the noted scout lonesome charlie reynolds also killed in the flight from the valley lieutenant charles c de rudio and sixteen men were missing they had not heard the order to retreat and had been left behind in the timber no sooner had the broken command reached the new refuge than the indians began to pull back it was a stroke of timely good fortune for both the men on the bluffs and those in the timber below but it was ill fortune for custer whose whereabouts reno's men speculated upon as the indians vanished from their front it was now late afternoon shortly after four o'clock custer destroyed exactly how custer and his men met their fate can never be fully and certainly known none of the battalions survived to tell what happened indian participants gave confused and contradictory stories at least to white ears 
so in fact did reno's men especially as the enormity of the catastrophe and the search for blame began to warp their memories these accounts however together with the placement of the bodies on the battlefield provided a foundation for sketching the broad outlines of the action more recent battlefield evidence some obtained through archaeological projects has permitted further informed analysis from these diverse sources the following sequence is deduced after major reno set off to charge the indians in the valley custer and his battalion continued down reno creek to its junction with the north fork while watering their horses there adjutant cook brought word as relayed by gerard that the indians were not running but coming out to meet reno if custer had intended to follow reno into battle he now changed his mind for he turned north away from reno creek and toward the dust that continued to rise from behind the skyline to his right front why did he plan to fall on the indians rear as reno engaged their front or was he still obsessed with the fear that they would escape and took this means to block their route or both or some other plan or no particular plan at all although bloody knife and other scouts had tried to warn him of many more indians than expected he still knew no more of their strength and location than indicated by the dust cloud in parallel columns of twos the five companies galloped up the long gentle slope toward the bluff tops after a mile or so they stopped short of the brow custer his orderly trumpeter for the day and the crow scouts rode to the top and looked out over the valley it was custer's first view of the objective just below the river swung in a wide loop halfway across the valley down the valley recalled one of the crow scouts were camps and camps and camps there was a big camp in a circle near the west hills below also related another of the crows we could see reno fighting he had crossed the creek everything was a scramble with lots of sioux back at the command custer conferred briefly with adjutant cook and other officers including his daredevil younger brother tom captain of company c and the proud bearer of two medals of honor for civil war heroism as the march resumed tom custer rode to his company and motioning to sergeant daniel knipe told him to hurry back to captain mcdougall with orders from custer tell mcdougall he instructed to bring the pack train straight across to high ground if packs get loose don't stop to fix them cut them off come quick big indian camp as the sergeant turned aside custer resumed the march northward below the crest of the bluffs toward varnum fighting with reno in the valley glimpsed the gray horse company e passing along the skyline on the command's flank some of the horses became excited and broke into a gallop out in front even of custer boys hold your horses knipe heard custer shout there are plenty of them down there for us all the command swung to the right down a long north trending ravine falling away from the heights it was narrow and forced the formation into a column after a half mile or more the ravine opened into the broad coulee now known as medicine tail custer signaled a left turn into the coulee anxious to get benteen into the fight and still worried about ammunition custer decided to send another courier he motioned for his orderly trumpeter an italian immigrant who had recently anglicized his name from giovanni martini to john martin and barked instructions 
cook no doubt distrusting martin's mastery of english scrawled a message on a page of his memorandum book tore it out and handed it to him benteen come on big village be quick bring packs w w cook p bring packs the final words showed with what haste cook wrote spurring his horse up the back trail martin glanced over his shoulder the last i saw of the command they were going down into the ravine medicine tail the gray horse troop was in the center and they were galloping later he heard firing looked about and saw indians some waving buffalo robes and some shooting farther up the trail martin met boston custer hurrying from his post with the pack train to join his brothers in the battle what happened next is reasonably well established by battlefield finds and indian testimony why it happened can only be theorized the two company battalion under captain yates descended the medicine trail coulee to the little bighorn river while the three company battalion of captain keogh ascended the north slope of medicine trail just beyond the mouth of the ravine the column had followed from the heights at the river yates ran into a hot fire from warriors posted in the brush on the other side the bullets flew so thickly recalled a sioux participant that the head of his command reeled back toward the bluffs after losing several men who tumbled into the water the crow scouts previously released by custer watched from the steep hillside to the south as these soldiers splashed into the water sitting bull later described this action succinctly our young men rained lead across the river and drove the white braves back at first only a handful of warriors perhaps thirty held the ford against yates but they quickly received help as men returned from the pony herd with their mounts and others freed by reno's retreat reached the new scene of action the hunkpapa gall rallied the forces and led them in a rush across the river back from the river yates companies withdrew returning a ragged defensive fire as they rode dismounting skirmishers to hold back the indian advance these soldiers held their horses reins on one arm while they were shooting remembered low dog but the horses were so frightened that they pulled the men all around and a great many of their shots went up in the air and did us no harm the line of this fighting retreat lay up the northern slope of a branch of medicine jail now known as deep coulee and ended on a low flat hill forming the southern nose of a high ridge since called battle ridge the rush of gaul's warriors also hit keogh's three companies posted in strong positions on the ridges separating medicine tail and deep coulees from dismounted skirmish lines the troopers laid down a heavy fire including some volley firing that kept the indians at bay after thirty to forty-five minutes they withdrew gall's warriors pressed closely after crossing deep coulee keogh started up the south slope of battle ridge again to relieve the threat to his rear he dismounted and formed a line here though the indians fired into the horse holders and succeeded in felling enough men and stampeding enough horses to put the command largely on foot with the horses went reserve carbine ammunition after this related gall the soldiers threw aside their guns carbines and fought with little guns pistols dismounted keogh's companies moved to the southern end of battle ridge and at last linked up with yates on the hill that later took the name of the l company commander lieutenant james calhoun 
what custer intended or indeed whether he accompanied yates or keogh is conjecture some students even believe that he fell killed or wounded with yates at the river and was carried to the hill where his body was later found yates may have been the leading element of a charge into the village with keogh prevented from following by gaul's powerful warrior force or keogh may have been working his way northward to strike the village from still another direction one of several plausible theories is that custer delaying a decisive thrust until benteen arrived with the packs sent yates to hold the ford and himself remained with keogh on the heights commanding the route by which benteen would come whatever the intent the indians proved too strong and all five companies reunited on calhoun hill besides the indians crossing the little bighorn at the medicine tail ford many crossed lower down the valley at the mouth of a deep ravine draining the western slope of battle ridge from this cover they fired on custer's flank on calhoun hill to counter this threat or perhaps even to find another ford by which to charge the village custer sent the troopers of company c galloping down the side of the ridge to the head of the ravine the indians hidden there got back quickly said the cheyenne woman kate bighead the soldiers stopped and got off their horses along another ridge a low one just north of the deep gulch they doubtless meant to fire into the ravine but lame white man a cheyenne hit them with a sudden attack that overran the company and scattered the survivors back to calhoun hill the final desperate stage of the fighting occurred along battle ridge while keogh held calhoun hill against the warriors crossing at the mouth of medicine tail yates two companies probably accompanied by custer moved northward on the ridge custer may have been looking for a better defensive position or even given his aggressive temperament a way to get into the village but the indians converged in overpowering force from all directions fire from the east grew so hot that yates companies gathered for shelter on the western slope in the fighting with custer's battalion the indians made few if any grand mounted charges mostly they kept up a long-range fire from dismounted positions behind hillocks sagebrush clumps tall grass and in the folds and troughs of the terrain from these places of concealment they struck down the cavalrymen with bullets from rifles carbines and pistols some taken from reno's dead in the valley and old trade muskets arrows also took a heavy toll loosed in high arcs they fell with deadly effect on clusters of exposed troopers the fatal blow fell from the north as the fighting progressed from medicine tail ford to battle ridge crazy horse had led a large force of warriors down the little bighorn valley to a crossing below the village forded the river and swept in a wide arc to climb battle ridge from the north they struck the units with custer and yates and thrust up the ravine on the east leading to calhoun hill here they crushed keogh's men against gall's warriors beyond although each of the companies made its last stand the last stand of history and legend occurred on the western slope of the northern end of battle ridge now known as custer hill here companies e and f and survivors of the other companies gathered around custer's headquarters banner whether in panic or deliberate counter-attack a large contingent of soldiers broke toward the head of the deep ravine in the direction of the river 
we finished up this party right there in the ravine said red horse the rest about forty shot their horses for breastworks on the hillside and fought until all died among them were the three custer brothers and nephew otty reed captain yates adjutant cook and lieutenants algernon e smith and william van w riley keogh and calhoun fell with their men to the south and three officers were never found or never identified the sioux and cheyennes defending their homes and families full of a sense of power and a conviction of injustice did their work thoroughly the soldiers fought back with a ferocity and bravery that earned high tribute from sitting bull himself how long they fought before the last man fell is still debated possibly two hours or more from medicine tail to custer hill sidebar varnum's detachment of scouts scouts both white and indian played important roles in the sioux campaign of eighteen seventy six white scouts like charlie reynolds were civilians hired at a specified wage by the u s army quartermaster department indian scouts on the other hand were enlisted men who though technically not soldiers were considered to be officially part of the army but indian scouts unlike white soldiers signed on for indefinite periods and served at the discretion of the departmental commander the detachment of indian scouts enlisted for the eighteen seventy six campaign were mostly arikara two of whom are shown on the opposite page under the command of lieutenant charles a varnum a handful of crow scouts on detached service from the seventh infantry accompanied the troops to the little bighorn and were nominally under varnum's command the four crow scouts shown opposite accompanied custer's column on the day of the battle but escaped death sidebar custer divides his command early on the morning of june twenty five custer viewed the distant little bighorn valley from the crow's nest shortly past noon on the divide between the rosebud and the little bighorn watershed he formed the seventh cavalry into battalions for the advance on the indians whose exact location was still not known sidebar the scout bloody knife was the son of a sioux father and an arakara mother he had served at fort lincoln in various scouting capacities ever since the fort was established and had taken part in a number of exploring expeditions including custer's eighteen seventy four black hills foray fearless and outspoken he often ridiculed whites including custer himself bloody knife's sioux relatives despised him for fighting with the soldiers and none of them mourned when he died in the valley during reno's attack on june twenty five sidebar the blue and gold regimental standard of the seventh cavalry remained with the pack train during the battle each of the twelve companies that fought at the little bighorn carried a silk stars and stripes guidon like this one to mark its position on the battlefield sidebar mitch boyer a half-blood interpreter for the regiment's crow scouts had predicted that there was going to be a damned big fight both he and bloody knife warned custer that the little bighorn valley contained more indians than the cavalry could handle boyer died with custer sidebar fred gerard civilian interpreter for the arakara scouts brought the first word to custer that contrary to expectations the indians were not running away but preparing to attack sidebar 
trumpeter john martin the last surviving trooper to see the custer battalion alive he carried custer's last message to captain benteen written by custer's adjutant lieutenant william w cook benteen's translation of cook's hastily scrawled summons appears at the top below sergeant daniel knipe who belonged to captain tom custer's c company carried the first message from custer to captain mcdougall ordering up the pack train sidebar how many indians estimates of the indian strength at the little bighorn fluctuate wildly to thirty thousand and forty thousand people with as many as twelve thousand fighting men the figures used in this publication are drawn from john s gray's centennial campaign gray performed an exhaustive analysis of population statistics and all other relevant evidence to reach numbers lower than usually given interestingly his findings coincide with the very first estimates by white observers who at once began revising their figures upwards for example as gray notes captain benteen's first guess on the morning of june twenty seven was fifteen hundred to eighteen hundred warriors but by the evening of the same day it had grown to twenty five hundred by july four to three thousand and by eighteen seventy nine to eight thousand to nine thousand gray's calculations about one thousand lodges slightly more than seven thousand people possibly as many as two thousand warriors if the older boys participated in the fighting sidebar gall hunkpapa war leader led the frontal attack against custer's column while crazy horse and two moon struck them flank and rear his warriors had already routed reno's men from the valley gall later claimed that at the time of the battle the sioux had no idea that they were fighting custer they thought they were fighting crook sidebar french-born lieutenant edward g Matthey of company m commanded the pack train and took part in reno's hilltop fight on june twenty five and twenty six end of sidebars end of section two c